I'm Bug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. Welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore movies, franchises, and genres that wouldn't be covered on Permanent Good. What are we doing this month, Craig? Okay, so here's the deal. I've I've explained this theme to a lot of people in the last few weeks because I think I think this is possibly the funniest theme that we've ever done. <laughs> Because it's also, I think, the funniest lineup we've ever constructed. So, Permanent Good and Small and Tall both kind of have a hard and fast rule of no horse movies. None. So, we're not going to watch Spirit or Racing Stripes. None of that. Now, we're going to toe the line this month. We're going to get as close as we are ever willing to get to watching a horse movie. So, this month we are watching not quite horse movies. Movies that may feature a horse, but is not about horse. It's not about horse in general. (laughs) It's it's not about horse. (laughs) So, this month we are watching Home on the Range, Barnyard, Tangled, and Nope. As always, Small and Tall is a full spoilers podcast. So if you don't want to hear spoilers for Barnyard, get out out of here. All right? Because we're going to go deep into it. Get out of here. Now, before we get started, I have a completely unrelated question. What's up? So, do you think that, So, do you think that like there's ever been like two people that are on a first date and they're like, "Hey, what are you into?" and they're like they're like, "What are your interests?" And they're like, "Oh, these are my interests." And they're like, "Oh, what are your interests?" And the other guy is like, you know, really into like cryptids and whatnot, and he goes, "Oh, I'm a Bigfoot guy." But it like the inflection gets like, you know, screwed up somewhere in the delivery and it's like oh i'm a big foot guy and the other date is like kind of put off by that like i don't want to date someone that's like a big like foot guy and then there's like this big like seinfeldian breakdown of the conversational standard and they have to explain that they're not into feet and there's nothing wrong with being into feet but they are into bigfoot the cryptid and researching about the monster your silence is deafening did this happen to you last night Last night, no. No. Hey, I am a gentleman. I do not bring fresh issues to the (laughs) podcast, okay? I let things simmer like a true man. Also, it was Friday night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did it end end well? I don't want to talk about it. Oh. She wasn't into the cryptids? She can't stick around. I know, right? Tell her to get on get. And like, listen, if Bigfoot's not your favorite cryptid, I understand. Bigfoot's kind of boring. But like, you know, you gotta at least watch Reptilicus with me. I had to think of the name. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, now that that stupid bit is over, you want to talk about, uh, you want to talk about Home on the Range? Yeah, uh, tell me about it. Yeah, so... You were you were the one that threw Home on the Range into the mix, right? Yeah. And so I I looked it up. It's it, it is barely and I mean barely a movie. Its actual content I think sits at like seventy minutes flat, and then like another like three or four minutes of credits. Um, and it has a really bad IMDb rating, and so I'm kind of like, all right, I'll watch it for the joke, haha, whatever. Um, so this movie, like I said, 70 minutes, super short, and it's about this farm called Patch of Heaven, where 
it's basically going bankrupt. The owner of the farm is this one woman who who doesn't have enough money to keep it running. You know, in kind of like a last ditch effort, she brings in this like big show cow to try to like reinvigorate the farm. Get but more it's money. still not enough. It's still not enough, and she still doesn't have enough money. And uh, they're gonna auction off her farm. So the animals in an act of desperation go into town and try to you know they try to find ways to make money and what they land on is there's basically a bandit who's been stealing livestock from other farms and there's a $750 reward for capturing this bandit so these animals which I need to clarify are sentient but not like in like a re I don't to describe their sentience is weird because like no one can understand it's not like people can understand them they're given human-like intelligence right you know they're the main characters of the movie these animals they talk and they have emotions and whatnot um it's very much charlotte's web charlotte's web style yes thank you and so the movie is these cows and a horse trying to capture this bandit essentially so, like I said, I was expecting so very little when I went into this. And if I'm being quite honest, I got a lot more out of it than I thought I was going to. It's actually kind of good. <laughs> I uh, I saw this when it was in theaters, actually, I think. That's I'm pretty bonkers. Sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw this in theaters when I was very little. So, there, there, I find this movie so interesting. Because if you were to watch it with absolutely no context, you would be like, you would probably think it was like a made for TV special, right? Like it's, it's one of those like show, it's it's one of those TV movies that they made just so they could pack it full of commercials and, you know, it's a 70 hour or it's a 70 minute experience that they stretch over two hours um, and they just, they just ran it on Disney channel all the time. No, this was a full theatrical release with, like, it's in their pantheon. Like, uh, it had, like, a big budget. It was, like, Disney's big movie for that year. And that kind of, like, caught me completely by surprise. And I was looking up the details. This movie had a budget of $110 million, according to Box Office Mojo, which I which I had a, which that number made me think of something and i looked up revenge of the sith also had a 110 million dollar budget so i don't know where that budget went differently on those two movies because like you can see it in revenge of the sith i see that i don't i don't know if the 110 in home on the range went exclusively to like paying their cast but that's like i don't because, like, this the is... movies, it's not like it's poorly animated. It has a very distinct style. It just, it doesn't feel groundbreaking at all. You can watch older animated movies and feel like they're doing more. And you can watch newer animated movies and they're also doing something different. Like, this movie doesn't stand out visually. Which I feel like is where a lot of money goes when it comes to big budget animation movies. So I, I just find that incredibly interesting. Well, 
there um this was one of the last actually hand drawn movies that was ever done by Disney. And yes. They also like most of the budget went to that because it does cost a lot more to hand draw every little thing, but also they do have a lot of big name people in this cast. So that's yes. where the other half definitely went. I imagine it was like, you know, it was a $20 million animation budget and then a $90 million Judy Dench budget. <laughs> exactly. Because um, Judy Dench is in this. Cuba Gooding Jr. is in this. Uh, Randy Quaid is in this. Roseanne Barr is in this. Steve Buscemi's in this. Like, a Everybody. bunch of very expensive 2004 names. Like, if, if you wanted to remake this movie with the same cast, I'm sure you could do it with $23 and half a Subway sandwich. You know, Roseanne Barr is probably just, like, grasping for any money that she can get <laughs> right now. But, um... Oh, my God. And... and not to say, like I said, this movie's not animated poorly. I just and I just didn't find it that visually interesting. So when I did see that number, I'm like, wow, <laughs> wow, crazy, <laughs> whack. Uh, I like that this movie just like starts off immediately with a joke for the parents who were taking their kids to see this movie. That line, single-handed, I know the joke you're talking about, and it single-handedly gave this movie a PG rating. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's a line where the show cow, she she does um the opening narration. Uh, Maggie is the name of, the, of this character. And the camera pans to her during the opening narration, and it, like, kind of, like, focuses on her udders, and she goes... Yeah, they're real. Stop staring. And that line on its own gave bumped this movie from a G to a PG rating. And I respect the I, I respect the the willing to keep it in. Oh, yeah. It was only for a long time it was only PG in the US. Everywhere else still had it as a G rating. <laughs> Everyone else was like, Yeah, we get it. It's a joke that they won't get. Um but America's just like, no, sorry, can't can't make a titty joke. You you can't. Um, the the vibes of this movie are, I I couldn't get quite a sense of on the vibe of this movie because there are parts of this movie where it gets like really serious out of nowhere, um, but only for like a second. There's like a really weird scene in the middle. Where um, they're trying to capture the bandit, they fail, and they're, like, stuck in the rain trying to get back to the farm. That was just, like, a really weird, bleak ad- addition to, like, what That's is generally... Kind of, it's, like, generally an upbeat movie. And I felt that that scene was just, like, so tonally different with, like, no real warning or consequence to it. It just felt like... I know it. It was weird. It was just a moment of them like feeling defeated because they tried so hard to like find this guy, and they kept running into all these bad things. They almost died multiple times, and so they're just defeated. And it flashes to um, the owner of the farm, like packing up the farm because they're like, "Yeah, we're definitely losing this when it goes to auction." And it's just a sad moment. And then they wake up in the morning, and they're like, "All right." 
We're not letting this get us down. We gotta, we gotta figure this crap out. And then, ta-da, they do. Yeah, believe it or not, they do. Crazy. Um, I also like that, um, so like, in children's movies, every villain kind of has their shtick, right? They kind of have their thing. And with this one, it's yodeling. <laughs> yeah, this movie definitely took some big swings. And the yodeling was probably the biggest swing. And I think there are mo and I can't tell if they were trying to play it as a joke or not. Because the character, you know, plays it incredibly seriously. And I can't tell if that's part of the joke or if yeah. the movie was like, no, yodeling is very serious. No, that was that was part of the joke. Like I I, I yeah. <laughs> Craig, give me your best yodel. No. What? No. Yeah. Hey, give me your best yodel. I'll do it. I got. I'll I got it. onto this. I. Hey, I actually. I don't know if that's something that I want to hear. Give me your best yodel. I got onto this Discord call very open about the fact that I woke up three minutes before I got onto the Discord call. And here you are trying to get me to yodel. Do it. No balls. I don't. You're right. Got me. <laughs> Woo, got me. Man, that debate has been solved. Wow, we actually got it. Hey, anyone that was curious, you have your answer now. I'm sorry, I'm on the IMDb page for Home on the Range, and it's been showing the trailer just like kind of on autoplay. And now um, the trailer for Skyfall has been playing. It just says Home on the Range, the poster, and then the Skyfall trailer. I have to imagine it's because Judy Dench is in both of those things. But... <laughs> IMDB, what's wrong with your website? The answer, everything. Oh, God. Um, the tagline for this movie is, I think you kind of get a good vibe for what this movie is going to give you because it says it on the poster as well. Uh, the tagline is, bust a moo. Pause for bust laugh. Bust a moo. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh, whoa. Hey, did you know that there's a scene where there's a boy blowing bubble gum and the film is set in the American mo the, 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 the film is set in the what is wrong with me? Okay, I'm going to try that one more time. In one scene, a boy is blowing bubble gum. The film is set in the American Old West. Bubble gum wasn't commercially sold until 1928. So I guess this movie sucks then. Sorry, zero out of ten. Wow, our first zero out of ten, and it's because this boy blew bubble gum. Wow. We take historically accurate movies and nothing else around here. Yeah. I ooh there's a there's kind of this Disney trope that I really don't like, and it's the stupid henchman trope. Um and uh Alameda Slim, who is the antagonist, has these like three they're they're akin to the hyenas in the lion king where slim is like this mastermind and then he has you know three dimwit companions that was i didn't like most of the scenes that included alameda slim just like in general i felt like so here's the thing about you you know you talked about how he had a thing and his thing was yodeling there's a consequence to that which is whenever he yodeled cows specifically would fall into a hypnotic trance. And so that's why he was able to steal so many was because he would just hypnotize them with his yodeling. And 
that was never really a factor for our main characters. There was a point where they knew what was happening, so they plugged their ears and weren't affected by it. And then there was a scene at the at, at the very end where I think one of the cows was like about to throw something at him or something like that. And he yodels, they stop throwing it, but it still slips out of their hoof, I guess. And then hits him anyway. So anytime he yodels at the main characters, nothing happens. Complete, like, almost a non-factor for this character when it comes to interacting with our main characters. Which makes you wonder, why do it in the first place? Well, there is the one scene where both Maggie and Mrs. Calloway get put under hypnosis and then Grace has to like save them because she was the only one whose ears remained plugged and wasn't falling yes. for it. But, yes, yes, yes. Um, I, it's more just for the joke they wanted to make about him being so serious about yodeling and yodeling hypnotizing animals to bring the herds in. That's That was the whole point. It was just for the one bit, essentially. Yeah. And you know, I respect it. I do respect it. Also, like I said, the antagonist of this movie, voiced by Randy Quaid, makes sense because Randy Quaid is an antagonist of real life. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of making that connection. I'm like, oh, this tracks. This tracks. Got him. I, uh, I, you know, like I said, I watched this movie in theaters when it came out. And I believe I would have been like five at that time. Yeah. Um and I just remember crying at least twice and I didn't cry this time, you know, growth, maturity. <laughs> but it still does, you know, still does hit the heart when they're uh packing up the farm and everybody's sad. And you know, there is we haven't even spoken about Cuba Gooding Jr. as a horse. I was about I was about to get into that because yeah because Cuba Gooding Jr. yes plays a character named Buck he's the horse and he's this like young hotshot like really wants to see action he's the sheriff's horse but he like he's effectively like a meter maid and he wants to like go out into the field and see some action the OG Judy Hops. Yeah, and that's kind of his character arc. And so he's trying to catch the bandit to prove that, like, oh, um, I, I, I'm useful. I can be more than just – I can just do more than wander around town. And in general, I thought it was kind of funny. Listen, I like almost all of the jokes in this movie. When they – when the movie isn't trying to be serious and the movie just does a few little jokey jokes, like – I'm I'm a fan. Grace was the only character that like all of her jokes fell flat for me, but like everyone else was like so it was surprisingly funny. Yeah, I uh I like how Buck is kind of like their frenemy almost. Like Yes. Yeah. Like they ha- they're like kind of frenemies with him because he's trying to like prove himself and ends up working with the bandit at one point, but then it's like, wait, no, I'm here to help the cows. And then in the end, all is well. They save the farm. He gets home and gets to be a big shot, and it's all good. Yeah, and I think the 
big thing that I had with this movie that I kind of realized is I don't like movies. (laughs) You don't like movies. I just don't like movies. I just don't like movies at all. You know, before we got on this call, Craig told me that he was changing the trajectory of his life. And I think this is the admission that he was holding back. Craig yeah, doesn't like movies. I've never liked movies. Um, All right, guys, this I, is the final episode. Yeah, new year, new me. Um, no, I, I, I don't like movies. It, it really only comes to fruition with animals. And I was trying to find a better way to put it. But I don't like movies where animals are behave like humans but cannot interact with humans. And so we're going to talk about that kind of relationship with Barnyard because it handles it differently. But the the scene at the end where I, I kind of had almost a crisis when I was watching this movie because, you know, I was like, animals don't have motivations like this. Animals can't understand complex economic factors to, like, hunt down a reward and use it to save the farm. Cows don't understand that farms go bankrupt. And so I kind of had like a little, I I reeled back in my suspension of disbelief for some reason. Again, I understand that that's stupid. It's a movie. I need, it's a, it's a movie and I need to let it do its own thing. And for some reason I was not willing to let this movie do that. And cause it came back again when when the animals come back with the bandit and they're like, and the mayor or the sheriff or whatever is like, oh, looks like your cows brought back the bandit. Well, your your animals aren't going to do much with a reward. So why don't you take it? I'm like, yeah, of course you take it. D- don't even bring it up. Don't bring up the animals. Real people wouldn't be like real. That would not be a real conversation. No. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just really hit like a, I hit rock bottom last night because I understand that this exact point that I'm making is something that I would criticize the hell out of Alex for making because it's such a stupid point. But for some reason, I was just like, I couldn't connect to this movie because they weren't addressing the elephant in the room, which was, this is stupid. (sighs) Craig. Yeah. Do you know why you feel that way? Why do I feel that way? It's it's the ADHD. Okay. But why is it kicking in with just this movie? Because it takes so much of that like suspension of disbelief. And I'm normally re- I am better than most people at suspending disbelief when it comes to movies. Like, if you want to do something really stupid with your movie, I'll follow along just cuz I'll I want to see what you what you do with it. But this I don't this movie, like it really and listen, the the rating I'm going to give this movie is not going to reflect this crisis. I I think that's its own camp that I Craig personally need to deal with. <laughs> But I just, I had a revelation. <laughs> a spirit spoke to me when I was watching this last night. It was 1230 in the morning. I was eating Velveeta mac and cheese. And I'm like, why are people accepting that these cows hunted a bandit? You were going through it last night. Wow. 
Well, I'm glad you survived and we made it out on the other side. What do you think you're going to rate this one, Greg? It's honestly like a six and a quarter. It's super short. The jokes hit. It's silly. It's stupid. It's not a bad watch. It really isn't. Yeah, I. this is like, this is a good, wholesome sort of movie, right? Like they. This the, movie got somebody fired. Did it really? Why? The, this movie was received so poorly by critics and audiences that art director Michael Giamma was fired from Disney. <laughs> Rip. People are stupid, okay? This movie, it's funny. It's wholesome. The, you know, it holds up for the most part nowadays besides, you know, like Craig said, the animation doesn't necessarily stand out. Um, so yeah, I, I give it the same, about like a six and a quarter, six and a half-ish, somewhere in between there. Um, but Barnyard, totally different and is just absolutely wild. Yes. So I think that these two movies sit on two sides of the same coin. So like I said, I, I feel like since, you know, I need to talk about this. So the reason why I didn't have as big a problem with this movie is because this movie takes the Toy Story approach when it comes to animal sentience, where the animals can speak, they can do human things, they just need, they're just hiding it from other people. So that having that explanation like right out the gate was like, oh, cool, I can get on board with this. You know, it's not that animals can't do this. It's just that we're not supposed to know that they can. Right. It makes it a little more understandable. And and, and the joke of this movie is that animals behave like people. Um, So I think the whole setup that this movie had was a lot different. Um, And I think that's kind of all I need to say in terms of that specifically. Um, Barnyard. Did it come out the same year? Was that also 2004? Uh, uh, 2006. Yeah. Um, this movie is about a farm. End of sentence. It's just, it's a, it's a farm <laughs> movie. Um, nothing interesting happens. It's just 90 minutes of like security footage over a farm. Um, uh, yeah, I don't even think there's a horse in this one. There, there isn't, there isn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and so maybe we're defying our own theme a little bit, but I it's close enough. Right? There could have been. If, it was there could have been a horse, you know. It hold, hold, fit hold, in. On, no, hold on. Wait, no, I'm watching the trailer for it. There are horses in the background shots. Okay, there aren't cool. any main character horses, but like there are, there are definitely are horses on this farm. Sick. So, like I said, the animals are sentient and uh, they have their own nightlife. They have their own community. They have they kind of have their own little government set up. And the movie follows Otis, who is the adopted son of the leader of the farm, Animals. And the leader, Ben, he's very serious and stern. Like, hey, these are our people. You need to look after them. You need to be serious and you need to be responsible. And Otis, the son is like, nah, screw that. I'm going to have fun and kick it. And so the first like 40 minutes of this movie is them playing with that dynamic of like Otis not living up to what his dad wants him to be and his dad trying to get him to change all that. Um, And then at the end of the first act, we hit a real pivot point. Real hard. Where 
the farm is plagued with a coyote problem. And in general, the coyotes are like, hey, we don't mess with the farm. But they've been pushing it more and more. And then there's one night where they just do a full-on attack. And in this attack, Ben dies. Just straight up, Ben dies. Viciously attacked. And so now it's up to Otis. He is elected their next leader. And now he has this like internal dilemma of, I don't want to lead these people, but they want me to. And then later it becomes more of like, am I good enough to lead these people? And it's like a really weird yet poignant message about like the responsibility you have to yourself and other people. And like I said, I went into this movie expecting so very little, but I got a lot more out of it than I thought I was going to. Like it starts off kind of like giving off the same vibes as like, I don't know, like super bad where it's just like, yeah, we're going to party, but like, Childlike and animated, obviously. That was just like an extreme, whatever the word that I can't think of, like... Comparison. Comparison, yes. Um, But then, like, suddenly it, like, pivots and just gets, like, so serious. And, like, the scene where Ben dies is literally, like... It's like a vicious coyote. There's obviously no blood or anything. And you don't even see, like, scratches on him other than different colors in his fur or whatever. But, like... I was like, dang, this is a children's movie. And then it got really deep. And also, right before all of this happens, a new cow or two new cows are brought to the farm. And like one of them, I th- I don't know if it's both of them, but I know that it's one of them is like pregnant. And it's not even like, it's, it's just yeah, like, all right, pregnant she's pregnant. One. Yeah. And it's like, all right, there's just a pregnant cow here now. Like they don't even like second guess it. They're just like, yeah, pregnant cow. And I was like, okay. Okay, 21st century, I see you, let's go. <laughs> um, This movie also has a very stacked cast, both with celebrities and also just really good voice actors. Because, you know, Kevin James is Otis, and you know he's Kevin James, whatever. Uh, but, you know, you also have Courtney Cox, Danny Glover, Sam Elliott, and Wanda Sykes, on top of, like, Jeffrey Garcia and Rob Paulson and Cam Clark. Like, this movie is, like... And John DiMaggio's in this too. Like it's, there's a Nickelodeon really pulled out all the stops on this one. They they were they were trying to compete with Home on the Range for sure with the stacked cast that they have here. And I like how they Sam Elliott plays Ben, who we were just talking about, who in the fight with the coyotes starts by breaking into the hen house while the coyotes are trying to like kidnap and murder these hens and he just has this guitar and starts playing tom petty so he's just like this tom petty crime fighting cow (laughs) it was so it was unironically such a good scene because it was so good because the scene starts and he's playing that tom petty song and he's like just like on a hill or whatever and then he sees that the hen house is being broken into he kicks down the door makes eye contact with all the coyotes and then just starts playing the song again <laughs> and as an audience member you're like oh the coyote okay. have already lost they've already lost you don't play tom petty into a battle you think you're going to lose <laughs> exactly um also while this is happening Otis is 
at a party in the barn where they have a, let's see, they have a band, a man ride instead of like the bull ride and A, a mechanical gambling. bull, yeah. Yeah, they have a mechanical man ride instead of a mechanical bull ride and they're gambling as well. And that was such a good scene because, and I mean this completely unironically, it was such an incredibly well-paced scene because we realize that Ben is going to die a few seconds before he actually does. And those moments of our realization is interspliced with scenes of Otis at a party. And the, and Otis was supposed to be the one on that hill guarding the hen house. But then Ben was like, no, you have fun at the party. I'll take care of I'll guard tonight. Don't worry about it. And so we're kind of being shown these scenes of like Ben is out here literally dying and Otis is over at a party. And I think the movie does a very good job of being like Otis doesn't need to feel guilty about this. Like he like Ben said that it was cool for him to go. It's not his fault. But I think it's still a really cool like theme to introduce of like it really shows who Otis was and who Ben was and just like showing that as Ben was dying was like heartbreaking. Absolutely. And then, so you know how we just had that conversation about all my growth and maturity and not crying at animated movies. Well, go ahead and toss all that in the trash can because then of course they had to have a funeral for Ben where they go through all these scenes between Ben and little Otis and couldn't hold back the tears on that one. No. Yeah, that was... And again, the music choice in this movie is not always subtle, but still very good. Because the song that they're doing, I don't know the name of it, unfortunately. The lyrics are very literal in what the message is trying to be. It's lyrics like, you know, I'm glad that you were my dad. You know, what fatherhood has meant to you. It's shown to me, you know, cheesy crap like that. Um, And... Like I said, this is this is the end of the first act. So we still have a lot more movie to go after that. It was just it's a really big part of the movie and it was done a lot better than I expected it to be. Um the second act of the movie pivots back towards the comedy aspect because Otis is a very unqualified leader and so he lets the barnyard like run a little loose. They do pranks. They like get back at people that have wronged them. Um, and so that's kind of the second bit of this movie. And I like most of the jokes in this movie. It is actually, the, the humor hits pretty hard. Um, some things are, are not a big fan. Like the pizza delivery scene, that joke didn't really hit for me. Everything involving like the, the little, the kids, the snotty kids. Yeah. I didn't like that. No. Um, and that kind of brings me to my next point, which is this movie this movie doesn't look good. This movie doesn't look good. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like this is 2006 3d animation, which if you remember, you know, any time before 2010 with computer generated animation, it's not great. And it shows like all the designs of the humans are, I'm going to say it disgusting. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's, it wasn't distracting enough 
to where I was like angry about it. But it was there were definitely a few points, usually whenever people were involved, where I'm like, oh, this is, ooh, this doesn't look good. This isn't great. Yikes. You know what did distract me? The fact that they gave cows thumbs. They had them have mittens instead <laughs> of hooks. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I was like, why are these cows wearing mittens? I, you know, that's just one of those things where they had to make a design choice of, like, they need to, like to be able to grab onto steering wheels because there's yeah. a scene where they're driving cars multiple scenes where they're driving cars yeah and i th- and they they had to make that choice and you know what good for them good for them good for them did you ever watch did you ever watch the sequel series that this movie spawned i, I didn't watch it but it would be on the tv every once in a while if that makes I'm sense. pretty sure I watched every single episode, but I remember absolutely none of it. Yeah, no. I think I remember, like, the theme, and that's it. And I can't even tell you the words to it. I just can see the sequence in my mind. Also, this has the uh, iconic. 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 This is a cow farm. There's going to be cows outside. Mine. It's weird that we watch all the movies that have TikTok audios. And it's not and this even is like intentional. The fifth time, yeah. And this is like the fifth time it's happened, and it started right out the gate too. Like we were finding TikTok audios when we were watching the Tinkerbell movies. Even when we were doing Twilight, I mean, because we decided to do Twilight because it was all the craze at the moment. But like, it's never like never intentional for us to do that. Sometimes I don't even know that they're from these movies until we watch them, and I'm like, oh, that's what this is from. Yeah. Um, this movie's stupid, it's silly, it, but it it hits a little harder than you think it's going to. I, this might be controversial, but I'm giving it a flat seven. I think this one is a six and a half. I like it about the same as Home on the Range. Like it, it does, like it, I think it's a little more funny, but it's also like, I have to like, lower my humor standards a little for this sure yeah and and like the third act of this movie i think gets more serious it gets it gets out of tone serious because you know the final scene is like the confrontation between otis and the coyotes and it, it doesn't have the same tone as the rest of the movie has had and so when ben dies it's serious for about five minutes but during this whole coyote confrontation, it's like 15 minutes from like that point to the very end of the movie. And there's like very few jokes across that entire thing. Like it gets a little silly. Like, like Otis bat, like Otis, uh, hits one of the coyotes with a golf club and sends him flying team rocket style. Like there's little bits like that, but in general, it just, it does, it does a lot to like, call back on all the emotional stuff that they've set up and call back on all the characters that they've set up. Like the last 15 minutes of this movie is very clearly like, all right, let's make sure there's no loose ends here. Yeah. With this, this movie doesn't feel like, like it does feel like it should have been on Nickelodeon, but it also feels like it could have been on like Cartoon Network instead. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a weird tone in general, but I I know it hit it hit it when hit. I watched it. Not so, a bad watch. Not a bad watch. Not at all. Okay, so we're moving on. 
I to we're moving on to a movie that I don't want to go so far as to say it's one of the best movies ever made, but like it's close. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, um, because we're 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 talking about Tangled <laughs> next. Um, and Tangled is Tangled is what's the word? It's good. Tangled is just it's just good. It's pure. Yes. It is probably the most like yeah it's the most wholesome. It just radiates sunlight every frame. Even like the dark <laughs> and creepy frames are just like it still has like a fun energy to it. Um and I'm about that. Me too. This is my favorite Disney princess and favorite Disney princess movie. It's probably second for me. Like, Aladdin will always hold a special place in my heart. But this is a, ooh, this is a real close second. And this is also like, you know, whenever some, whenever you ask some, or I ask somebody like, oh, you know, which Disney princess do you see me as? This is their response every single time. No one says Pocahontas? That would be incredibly incorrect. Listen. I think so, too. I just think that you know some dumb people. Excuse me? Listen, I'm just saying. Wow, you're just insulting the people I know? I'm not saying the people you're close with. I'm just saying, you know, I'm saying the people outside your inner circle, the people that you bump into at parties every now and then, they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, you're totally, I know you're totally Esmeralda. Or Pocahontas. And then those are the people that I would need to, like, sit down and have a conversation with. I'm, uh, I'm gonna let you sit in this one. I could feel that. I could feel it. I, I was like, hey, this is a fun bit. And then you didn't respond with the energy I was expecting. And now I'm kind I'm just in this hole now that, like, I, I dug it for myself and I have to find a way to get out of it. Do you have any a, any good transition points here would be nice? Uh, I don't know. No, we're still so. sitting in it? Okay. All right. Yep. We're um, still sitting in it. You got to dig yourself out of this one. So, if you've never seen Tangled. Okay. Actually, before I, you know, if you haven't seen Tangled, it's a story of Rapunzel. Whoop, you're caught up. Um, <laughs> what was, I think important about tangled at least for us and people our age is tangled was the first disney movie to tell a story that we already knew i like princess and the frog i think could also you know you could make a debate for that but i feel like tangled was marketed better like disney cared about tangled more so like that one was like a little different in the sense of like hey not only is this the first 3D animated yeah. Disney princess movie, it's also a story that you know. And, like, when you're 11, you're like, oh, whoa. Okay, hold on. Wait a minute. Hold on. Were we I, 11? I, like, you, I, there was a little bit of vested interest in this one. Were we 11 when this came out? Didn't this movie come out in 2010? Holy crap, we were 11. We were 11. Yeah, yeah we were 11. <laughs> That's, Why is that so surprising to you? I thought I was a lot younger. <laughs> I honestly can't remember if I've seen if I saw this movie in theaters or not. 
but I this is probably the Disney movie I've seen. Actually, that's not even true. I've probably only seen this movie like three or four times. Meanwhile, I watched like The Little Mermaid VHS on repeat. This movie had the disservice of not being out when <laughs> I had very few entertainment outlets. So like Return of Jafar, The Little Mermaid, and Hercules were like the movies that I had on VHS and Mulan. Those were the movies that I just had in like prime circulation just because I had a small TV with a VHS player and a VHS tapes in my own room. And those, you know, those little additions were like enough to be like, all right, see you guys in 14 hours. Yeah. That's, that's how I was with the Cinderella movies. Um, This movie came out when my mom had her own daycare and this is one of the movies that we had on like our DVR and so this is one whenever like I would be helping watch the kids I would make sure to put on because they always wanted to watch like Marmaduke and I re- or like Marley and me and I'm like <laughs> you guys hate yourselves and so one day they had like asked for Marmaduke so many times and I didn't want to watch it that I deleted it off of the DVR <laughs> <laughs> what and a so power then, move then i would always put on uh this so i'd put on tangled nomeo and juliet or despicable me because i was okay with that one and they were obsessed with it sure yeah um give me a quick rundown on nomeo and juliet how did that go for you i mean it was elton john so i didn't really mind <laughs> um so Tangled is a very simple movie. I think that this is one of those movies that it's pretty formulaic when it comes to like the Disney structure, but I think it does it in it, it's the most well executed version of the Disney formula. Like you know, like once you kind of get the basic like character relationship dynamics you know what the plot is gonna be you know exactly when they're gonna fall in love you know when there's gonna be a betrayal you know when the betrayal is gonna resolve itself so like there's 40 minutes in this movie i'm gonna say that like most people could write that 40 minutes that like end of second act beginning of third act that is As predictable as Disney movies come, but I think this movie tells it with such a charm that I forgive it. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely, like, you can, you know what's coming, like you said, but they do it in a way that doesn't feel as cheesy as, like, some of the other Disney movies. Because obviously it follows the Disney formula, but it, like, it felt, what at the time when it came out, it felt refreshing. I'd say. Yeah, and it still does. It still does. I uh, just think... I, I want to acknowledge, you know, this movie is not wholly unique in most of its ways. Oh, no. But what does set it apart is the style and tone in which it does it. And the music in this is so good. Like, they did something with the score and all of the songs. <laughs> yeah, um, what I noticed a lot in this watch through, it, it, I've gotten a lot better. I, hey, ever since I started watching, you know, a hundred movies a year for podcasts, um, I've got one of the things that I've started to pick up on more is um, 
score and its undertones. And this movie is very easy to notice it because they'll sing a song. And then anytime that song's themes come back, like a reprise of that song will be playing underneath the scene. And like I said, it's a very simple thing to notice, but when you do notice it, I think it enhances the scenes a lot more. So anytime that Rapunzel is like debating or like whenever, whenever the, Whenever she's faced with a moment in the adventure and where she's like, I'm on my own, I'm not in the tower, like, you hear bits of when will my life begin? And when Mother Gothel's kind of in the background, you hear the little bits of Mother Knows Best. And that's, I, I, it's very simple, it's very blunt, but like, I, I like it when I, when things like that happen. Yeah, because it, like, creates that connection just that little bit more. Um, I will die on the hill of I See the Light is the best Disney duet on the planet. Hands down. Hands down. Absolutely. Like, you see that scene and you're just like, I want to be that. I want to be there. Give me that. I want I need to experience that in my life. And... It's very easy to be cynical in the sense of, like, when Mother Gothel's like, if you give Flynn the crown, he's going to forget about you. And as an audience member, you're inclined to agree with her. You're like, yeah, you know, sure, I understand that. But then when they're singing that song and he offers her or, and she offers him the crown and he, like, pushes it down so he can look at her. Ah, ah. so good. So good. Makes a man weak. Like, and that scene, th- this whole movie does uh, incredible things with lighting. This whole movie's about chasing light. So, of course, they're going to take the time to make the light important. And in scenes like I See the Light, when they're lighting the lanterns, like, all those scenes are gorgeous and it's done so intentionally and it feels and looks just amazing yeah exactly and (coughs) i feel so the movie begins with us being introduced to rapunzel and pascal her little chameleon best buddy and she's singing when will my life begin which kind of sums up her daily agenda of living in this tower where she just has to repeat all the same stuff and i was like wow this was literally all of us in quarantine yeah yeah <laughs> like, that it's is like, exactly oh, wow. how it felt um i yeah i mean it's a little bit easier because you know we have movies and podcasts and video games but the 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 sentiment is still there i think about the same thing with uh fiona in shrek yes um <clears throat> just kind of like hey all i have is this tower i got nothing so we haven't yet um talked about why rapunzel counts or well not rapunzel but why tangled counts as a not quite horse movie yeah so there is a horse in this movie right his name is maximus and It's not quite a horse movie because he's not very important until like the second half of the movie. And he's a very secondary character. So like, 
And the relationship that he has with everyone is, I'm going to say, almost entirely comedic. Because Maximus is one of the palace guard horses, and they're on the hunt for Flynn Rider because he's a wanted criminal. And because he stole the princess's crown. And though and Maximus gets separated from the rest of the royal guard. So when they when Rapunzel and Flynn run into Maximus, they're able to kind of like sweet talk him into being like, hey, please don't turn us in yet. We're on a very important mission, very important and personal, important and personal mission that we'd be very sad if you turned us in. And so Maximus is like, fine. He, he doesn't talk. It's just, these are, you know, we're told these thoughts through expression, where Maximus is kind of just like, fine, I'll take you to the stupid lights, but then I'm turning in the bandit. And then we learn, and then, you know, through the adventure, Maximus grows to love our team, and so do we, and he becomes a valued member of the family. This movie, I think, does a really good job of making the animal companions absolutely hilarious just through body language yes absolutely um i think maximus more so this time around um he's very expressive very antagonistic which i think uh works well for him in this movie yeah he is flynn rider's like antithesis almost yes absolutely now Speaking of Flynn Rider, I have a huge crush on Zachary Levi. Oh my god. He, in in this movie, he is so, like, his voice is so caramel smooth. It's, man, it does something to you. I want it. It it changes a person's body chemistry. (laughs) Um, He is fantastic. I also love him as Shazam. I loved Chuck, like, all the way through to the end. Like, Zach Levi is one of those people that will get me to watch something because he is in it. Like, I just, I really like Zachary Levi. He he has that, like, natural charisma, but it doesn't come off as cocky. He's smooth, but regular. He's He is, like, so normal when it comes to his charisma that it's very engaging he's just very laid back chill and you know you like i remember not expecting him to sound so great when he sang and then you heard flynn rider sing and you're like oh man this just made him even better he was in the 2016 broadway revival of she loves me and that cast recording is streaming and he sings the titular song, She Loves Me, and it's it's very good. It's much more poppy and show tuny, but like it's if you want more Zachary Levi singing, um, She Loves Me is a good one. And also my personal favorite musical, like my top three musicals of all time, is a musical called First Date, and that soundtrack is also streaming. And he is so good and ooh, I love that musical so much. That is, so if you want more Zachary Levi really singing, that, those are my recommendations for you. First Date is a very good one. Um, I just, so like, I love the back and forth that Flynn and Rapunzel have of like, because he's constantly going back and forth to like, okay, just like, 
give me the crown and then this can all be over with or he's like trying to be like are you sure you want to leave your tower like are you sure you want to go on this journey to see these lights and yeah and he's doing like the as when they start the adventure he's like trying to coax her to go back because he doesn't want to babysit this person yeah and then like after so they go into this tavern where there's all these other criminals and because he's trying to scare her back into her tower, which then she turns around and makes them all sing about all their dreams and it's cute and quirky and corny. And then his attitude changes after that, you know, after she saves his life. And he's kind of like, you know what? No, we're going to do this for you because you need it and I'm going to help you out here. And it's way more important than that little crown. Yes. And one could say his character changes too quickly. Like he doesn't really have like an arc per se. It's like here's sassy and ruffian Flynn. And then there's one moment of change. And now he's the soft, lovable Eugene. And I wouldn't disagree with that sentiment, but the movie's an hour 40 it's fine. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna yell at it for changing a character's pace when it's changing for the better. And I don't necessarily think that it's too fast because it's kind of like he keeps it up until you know Rapunzel's magic hair heals him, and then he's talking about how you know, like he tells her his backstory where like Flynn Rider is actually just a character, like that's all he is, and so he portrays that character in real life. To, like, make himself feel better because he was an orphan in an orphanage and now he gets to live all these scallywag adventures. And so I think it's kind of just him realizing that even Rapunzel is, like, the same way, but she's still genuinely Rapunzel. And so, therefore, he can be genuine Eugene. I do think that there are moments where... I feel like they had to hit a certain number of this, that, and the other, but they didn't commit to it fully. Like, the I Had a Dream song is like, all right, we need an ensemble number. We need some comedic characters. Uh, th- this, I guess. And, there, and it's a fun song. It's not that I don't like it. It's just that you can tell that it didn't feel as natural because they don't give the characters names. In that scene, which I wouldn't mind, except for at the very end of the movie, Eugene is doing like the voiceover wrap up of like Rapunzel and I got married. Maximus went back to being a royal palace horse and he refer and he like reflects on what everybody in that tavern. They went on to, you know, pursue their dream, but he doesn't say their names. He literally says, and that guy became a pianist. And that guy became a mime. I'm like, hey, if you didn't give them names, I don't. We don't need to circle back. That's fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. I th- I think that bit was more of a. This is a children's movie, and they don't need fifty names to remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, all the minions I, I, would have names, and only like three but of they them do. do. Only like three of them do. Enough of them have names. To where, you know, we can talk about it. You're going to die on this hill and I'm not going to argue with you on it. Um, so I Thank think you. 
it's not a good thing. I think Flynn Rider's smolder is how straight white guys try to selfie, and it's just as cringe. It's so cringe. Oh, it's oh man, it hurts. It's so bad. I'm like, thank God he doesn't do it too much. Thank God he only does it like twice. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. I think I need to carry around a frying pan. I feel like that would be really helpful. Yeah, listen, all you need to do is smack one person with a frying pan, and then whenever you carry the frying pan, people know to stand back. Exactly. And I don't want anybody to talk to me, ever. <laughs> um, I think, hold on. So this movie didn't win any awards the year it was, the year it came out. No. Um, which is weird, because Disney movies usually sweep the animated section, and... Um, if this is one of, you know, their better ones than, um, animated feature. Oh, Toy Story 3 won animated yeah. feature. I guess hard that, to I compete. guess that's hard to compete. That's okay. I guess when you're going up against Toy Story 3, you know, <laughs> um, it makes sense. And let me see music written. Um, probably once again, Toy Story 3. Yeah. Again, it was Toy Story 3, which I'm going to say only one because it was Randy Newman. Yep. yep. I think, because I don't remember any of the music from Toy Story 3. Absolutely not. But, and you know, this is music best original song. And obviously, yeah, Randy Newman has a song in all the Toy Story movies. But I don't, I don't remember anyone other than like the one, than the, than the Toy Story 1 one. Yeah, me either. But also, even though it makes me cry, I think Toy Story 3 is... The worst Toy Story. Whoa, interesting. I have not watched. I've, I have not watched the fourth one though. But there's four, right? Yeah, the fourth one. Oh, d the fourth one destroyed me. Oh, that one was yeah, rough. I haven't watched that one because I know that it's going to destroy me if one, two, and three destroy me. <laughs> That's a common theme with you: avoiding movies because they make you feel things. What? Which is weird because no, I go out of my way to watch movies because they make me feel things. Okay, but I can cry without a movie having to make me cry. Okay, well, hold, <laughs> we can move on now. We can move on. Um, uh, I think this movie probably sits at like eight and a quarter for me. I would agree. This one's like eight and a quarter, eight and a half. Like you said, you've only seen it three or four times. I watch it three or four times a year, maybe more. So it is very near and dear to my heart, and I'm very glad that we got to watch it for this because it gave me a valid excuse other than, ooh, Tangled. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to wrap this up with Nope, which, again, funniest lineup we've ever done. <laughs> I stand by it. Now, Nope is the most recent Jordan Peele film. It came out in July of this year, of 2022, and... This one has a pretty simple plot. I'm, I'm going to break it down real quick. Um, basically, Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya play siblings, and they their dad owns a horse training ranch specifically to train horses for movies. And they've been in this industry for, like, decades. And one day, an alien shows up, and it kills their dad, and... Now, Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya are like, we need to catch this alien on film so we can have proof 
and we can sell it and we can save the ranch and become famous. Yep. And that's the movie. And honestly, it's so good. Like, I love me an alien movie, as we have discussed many a times on this podcast. And I think this was a really refreshing take on it to where it was like, you're on the edge of your seat for a lot of it and it's really intense and there's a lot of things that kind of like catch you off guard like a Jordan Peele movie will but it doesn't make it like horrifyingly scary like it keeps it really intriguing I guess I'd say okay so you this didn't is the like first... this did you I didn't like this movie no this is the second time I saw it in theaters when it came out I can't I went with a bunch of people to go see it and I didn't like it then and I'm like okay maybe I missed something I watched it again I feel the same way so when this movie came out a lot of people revered its message and like the allegory it's telling or maybe allegory is too strong of a word but like the analogy that it's making which is like People in the filmmaking industry will often go too far and sacrifice too much to preserve an image, to to get a shot, to make some money. Like, that's the common theme that a lot of people came together to extrapolate from this movie. It's like, it's a critique of the Hollywood industry saying... You care too much about art that nobody else cares about and usually isn't real. Um, yeah. And if that is the message that you found from it and that's a message that you identify with, I am not going to stand in your way. As someone who doesn't have experience with that message and can't really relate to it, I found this movie very boring. I, even like regardless of the message of it like at the end of the day i still thought it was just intriguing because like yeah there were a couple parts where i was like okay can we just like get back to the alien like i kind of thought that while while it was important at some points to have the character jupe who was this child actor who was on this set where this with where an ape monkey i it was it was like an ape was part of the cast and during the filming of one episode it kind of lost its mind and you there's like some hint that it was also because of this alien at one point and so jupe is the only like survivor who was unharmed from that day and he goes on to have this like at what like horse western amusement park up the road from the ranch yeah I guess. yeah it's basically yeah it, the it's like a theme park more than kind of anything else it's it's like a like an old west town that you would go visit um it's, it's a tourist trap he runs a tourist trap yeah essentially and he has this big performance that he puts on to like because he's like yeah i saw this alien and then you know he's also there because he buys oj and emerald's horses when they need some money and like has a deal to where oj can like try to buy them back or whatever once he gets the money he needs but at the same time i kind of felt like it his whole plot was like pointless and was just there to you know 
set up the ending almost. Yes. Like that was the um, whole purpose was just for that one camera to be there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Jupe is played by Steven Yun, uh, who one might know from The Walking Dead. Um, but and his performance, like a lot of people hail his performance as the best from this movie. And I'm eh. not inclined to disagree, but I definitely think that like once he did his scene where he like explained like, hey, I'm a washed up child actor. I almost got killed by a monkey on set. I was like, OK, cool. Thanks. And then like I just didn't need to see him again until no. he did that performance exactly. where he gets sucked up by an alien. Um, and the entire crowd gets sucked up. So he causes a mass murder by alien. Yeah, I the character that I didn't like what I did not like Angel. He Angel was kind of the character that got on my nerves the most. Yeah, he um, was annoying, but he had his moments where he made me he laugh. He had his moments. He had his moments. He was important enough to the story to where, like, I wouldn't cut him out entirely. I just, I did not find him interesting or engaging or entertaining overall. Um, and you said while you were talking about it that this movie does a good job at keeping you engaged without being outright scary. And I think that because I didn't find the movie engaging, the fact that it wasn't scary, as someone who doesn't like horror movies, I wish it was a little scarier. Because there are two scenes that are scary in this movie. Two whole scenes. It's when OJ is in the barn and those kids are dressed up as aliens and they're like trying to scare him. Oh, and that like, was creepy. You know, mess with him. That was scary. And then the scene where we are living in Jupe's flashback, where um, where Gordy assaults, just murders an entire set of people. That scene was terrifying. Oh my God, that scene was terrifying. Like, because there's a shot from like a first person perspective, from Jupe's perspective, and he's hiding under a table. And you watch this monkey, you watch Gordy, like systematically, like, rampage across this set and like take out person by person he finally stops realizes there's somebody under the table and slowly and methodically creeps closer to this table and then right before you think he's about to attack gordy gets put down and that scene was terrifying like ooh, wow um yeah. And so the fact that, like, those were the only two scenes that, like, really got me, the rest of the movie just kind of felt bland in comparison. I think there was the the other, I'd say, like, most high-intensity like, high moment is after OJ goes to the theme park to, like, see what's up and get the horse back. And he's, like, driving in the trailer. The alien is, like vomiting blood and metal and all this stuff up over OJ and Emerald's house and like it's all the remnants of all the people it just ate from the theme park and you know Daniel had got or OJ had gotten as close as he could to the house before all the power went out because that's what this alien does it like takes all of the energy around and makes like all the electricity or whatever and after that scene, like, when the alien is, like, on its way away from the house and 
the van that Angel brought is like playing the music and like OJ is like standing there with the door open trying to get them to like get in the car already and he's like don't look at it don't look at it don't look at it I was like that one had me so far on the edge of my seat I feel like okay that that's fair that that one's all I that one was more intense for me when I saw it in theaters rather than the second time around but yes that one is also very up there I think the big thing about it for me is this is the first Jordan Peele movie I've seen. I haven't seen Get Out or Us. What? And so when this movie came out, I was like, all right, I finally get to see, like, everybody loves Jordan Peele. Let's see what all the hype is about. And then I watched this movie and I was like, this is it? This is what everybody, this is what everybody's been raving about? Like, I don't see it. Whatever it is, I don't see it. And... And when I tell people that, people are like, oh, you should still watch Get Out. Get Out is still the best. Get Out is still great. And, and like, I will get around to watching Get Out. It's just that this movie being my first Jordan Peele movie, like, it's – I'm not a fan of this one. I think that's where you messed up, though, because this is overall the weakest of the three movies that he does have out. But also – understand like watching the other two and knowing like his writing style and kind of how he does things and how he like interweaves his messages into things it makes this one more entertaining so i but i feel like knowing now that this was your first jordan peele movie because i could have sworn you'd seen get out but knowing now that this was your first one it makes a lot more sense that you weren't all that into it because you know for being a like someone who's so like known for his comedy jordan peele has a very dark mind but it is also genius yeah and and i don't want to discredit that uh i i really don't because i you know I've, I've seen one of his three movies i cannot say that you know he's an overall bad movie maker it's just that this one was it it didn't speak to me i i thought that the whole third act was kind of boring I, listen, the the design of the alien is gorgeous. Oh my god, what an I loved watching the alien like transform and evolve and adapt. Like that that's probably the best part of the movie is watching the alien change. Um but the way that our ensemble interacted with the alien, I found incredibly boring. Um up until the part where Emerald gets on the motorcycle and drives it to Jupe's ranch. Like, that part I liked. But up until that point, I was like, it, it felt boring. I, I didn't feel like we were getting anywhere with it. Um, I, I just did not find that part particularly enthralling. It was a lot of keeping the alien distracted enough to get to the next part. That's what a yeah. lot of it was. And... I like I also really loved the transformations of the alien especially at the end because they kind of made it look like a biblical alien mixed with a pokemon almost and a butthole. I mean, yeah, if you want to take it there, but of course, of course we're going to take it there. Um I also really really liked that the siblings acted like siblings, especially yeah. like Especially like a brother-sister relationship because a lot of times with movies, siblings don't act like actual siblings do. But in this film, like the constant like back and forth and the 
we're bickering, but then we're chill, but then we're kind of bickering again and making digs at each other, but we still love each other and we're going to hang out. Like, that was so accurate to me. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I feel like Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, they brought wildly different energies to their characters. And there were some parts where that was nice and there were some parts where I was like, come on, let's get together for like a second here. Um, So... I, I know they sometimes they were too different for me, but other times I agree, you know, they were um, very, very well coordinated. I do want to say my biggest beef with this movie is that he, let me take you through this train of thought that I had when watching this movie for the first time. Oh, Keith David's in this movie. Oh, they killed Keith David. Keith David's name's in the opening credits. Keith David isn't in the rest of this movie. That was my kind of like thought process where hey if you know me you know me big keith david fan very excited to see him very sad when he died and so i want to i have a personal vendetta against jordan peele for giving me hope that keith david would be in a big you know blockbuster movie only for him to be wiped from existence within the first five minutes too it wasn't even like oh yeah you get 20 minutes of keith david it's no you get literally like max five minutes of keith david yeah um now that i've watched it twice unless i watch get out and us and am struck by some miraculous intervention i have no inspiration to watch this movie again um I this movie sits at like a flat five for me. I understand why people like it. I just don't. I think this one is a seven for me. I'd say seven, seven and a quarter. Because like I said, I feel like for me personally, it had just enough like suspense to keep me engaged through the moments that I thought were kind of lullish and Like I said, I really enjoyed how the sibling relationship felt real because, you know, you mentioned that sometimes they felt a little too different, but I think that is part of being a brother and a sister because you're constantly like, no, I'm going to like hardcore go into independence and like me and be like, no, I'm nothing like you. I don't want to be anything like you kind of a situation. But yeah, it was, I liked a lot of the character interactions, some of them I could have done without, some characters I could have done without altogether, and I definitely watched it again. I mean, this was my first time watching it. I had never seen it before, but yeah, seven and a quarter. All right. Now? now. Oh my god. Oh my god, I'm so excited for this because I don't know what's coming next at all. Okay, so for the next two months, we're going to be doing movies that, like, we're kind of laying, we're kind of putting our foot down and being like, hey, I want you to watch these movies. These movies mean a lot to me. So I want you to watch this. And so I'm going to do mine in January and we're going to do Bugs in February. Um, And so the four movies that I want you to watch that we are going to watch next is Your Name, Kubo and the Two Strings, Mitchell's versus the Machines, and Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. Okay, so for the... For the first three, I have not seen them, and I'm sure they're going to make me cry. That fourth one, I have seen multiple times, but we'll watch it again. Are you kidding me? 
Craig, I, I like the I like Star Trek. I've told you so many times that I like Star Trek, and I've seen a lot of Star Trek. Uh, yes, I am very excited to watch all of these. Like I said, the first three are going to make me cry. The fourth one I haven't watched in years, so I'm very excited to see what I remember and what I can point out that, you know, I feel like would have changed your life. And yeah, I'm excited for this. Although I'm kind of disappointed that Craig didn't take my bait to make me watch the Sonic movies. <laughs> one day. I think we got to save that for a real special occasion. You didn't even try like, for Detective Pikachu. Like, there are so many options I thought you would have gone with, but you didn't. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us for our Not Quite Horse Month. And we will see you back here for Craig's movies that he wants me to watch. <laughs> we'll have a better title by the time the episode comes out. I promise. I'm Bug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. This has been Small and Tall's Not Quite Horse Month, and we'll see you next month in our new year, 2023. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. <laughs> Mwah.